The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! <laughs> you think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? <laughs> well, I mustn't have been paying attention. I don't think I'm off. Maybe I am. I hear you. Must have missed something. You were just talking to me. All righty. Hey, how you guys doing? Tom Duggan here on the Paying Attention Podcast. I miss singing that song. Do you miss singing it? Yeah. Remember I used to sing it before your bashes, before you got the real thing? Um, I did. No, I remember you singing the unicorn song. No, I did. After that I told too. you not to. That was the last song that I sang before you came up. That was yeah. the last song that you sang yeah. ever at the bash. Yeah, that's true. I told him no unicorn song, and only because it bums me out and it makes me sad. And I can't be sad when I'm getting ready to How stop my How can you possibly bash. be sad about a mythical creature, the yeah. unicorn? Who says it's mythical? Well, it's mythical now because Noah floated away and the unicorns weren't on it. All right, so you think the unicorns did exist? Yeah, of course. All right. Right. Then it's then I will I will mourn with you. All right, very good. But we'll have Paul back. I love Paul. When we do our charity bash, you say, Paul, you coming this year? Well, am I going to sing? <laughs> Listen to that. I'm like, what? All right. So he's folks, not coming. If he's not going to sing, he's not going to come. All of you who listen to his podcast, <laughs> take everything he says with a grain of salt because maybe 1% of it is true, especially yeah, when it talks so about So you say. Especially when it talks about me. So you say, Mr. Jujuga. 978 <laughs> No, that's not the number, is it? <laughs> at some point, Jonathan, we can take phone calls, right, on this show? Can we work that in at some point? We can We can I'll, always take any uh, pre-set-up phone calls that I connect with on Skype. we got a pre we got a pre we got a pre so we just can't randomly take calls during the show like a radio show. Correct. We'll work that out. Because we're not a radio show. We're a podcast. It's a little different. I gotcha. I gotcha. So welcome to the Paying Attention podcast here uh, high atop, uh, what's the, uh, uh, two guys smoke, high atop, two guys smoke shop. Let's try that again. Welcome to the Paying Attention podcast high atop, two guys smoke shop on Broadway in Salem, New Hampshire at Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. I'm Tom Duggan. My co-host is Paul Morano. Maddie Ryan, our uh, news anchor, is not with us today, so we're just going to kind of blow through some news, talk about some stuff in the first hour. You sound like you want to say something, Jonathan? Oh, no. Oh, oh did no. you sound like you well, want to say something, Well, I was just going to say, you, you, know, you mentioned that where we are. Live studio Th- audience. There's, there is, this is a great studio to have people come in and watch the yes. Paying Attention podcast. Right. Too bad we can't turn things around and have them. It's a big studio with lots of comfortable chairs. Right. And, and there's a bar you can have coffee. Sean or, the barista. Or, uh, soft drinks or I don't know, whatever Co- they have he, there. He makes coffee. And he then makes right, right past that door, there is a games room. And it's, so it's not just smoking cigars. Right. Yeah, no, we have a, we have a, a, a great studio here at uh, Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Initially, I thought maybe we'd get like all of our supporters, our readers, our, excuse me, our followers to come and watch the show. And the first couple of shows, a bunch of people showed up. And then I realized, like, we don't, we don't need them. What do we need them for? Well, it'd be fun to have them. Yeah, except they, then, then they want to interact with us during the show. And I don't like, like, one guy came up and just started talking to us. He, like, literally <laughs> walked up to the desk while we were on the show and just started talking to us with no microphone, like he was part of it. And I was like, like if I was prepared for that, I'd be okay with it. But it just kind of mm. surprised me in the middle of a show. Well, if anybody's not doing anything from 2 to 3 p.m., uh, come by. It's, it's, it's yeah, really comfortable here. Just, just don't expect to be part of the show. Yeah. Like you can clap and stuff and that'll be cool, but other than that. So we've got a bunch of news stories that we want to get to. Our first news story, it would have been so much better to have Maddie read this. Um, but we said last week, Paul, I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. that we had a big announcement the following day. I do remember. Right? We had, <clears throat> we had uh, a show on Thursday last week and uh, we had a big announcement to make on Friday and I begged the producers, I begged them to let me do it on the show last week. They said no. Um, and because I signed 15,000 different non-disclosure agreements, I kind of have to go with what the producers want, um, which is okay because it's their film. Um, but we did do the announcement, and in case you missed it, we're going to do it here on the show. So um, I am going to be starring in a movie, a Hollywood production. Get out. Called Lawtown. Lawtown? Lawtown. 
And this movie, uh, we made it. It took about a year to make. Um, I can, I, I'm, I'm going to just give you like a little background on how I got involved without uh, divulging like anything that I'm not supposed to. Okay. So uh, sometime last year, like around maybe, I don't know, maybe the beginning of May, uh, maybe <coughs> maybe beginning of June, sometime around there, because you know my times are always off. Um, I got a phone call from a guy who said, uh, hey, listen, my name's Justin, and I'm from Los Angeles. We're in Lawrence. Uh, we're making a movie, and uh, we interviewed a bunch of homeless people, and we interviewed a bunch of politicians and police officers, and everybody that we talked to says, the guy you really need to talk to is Tom Duggan. He's the guy you should go talk to about this stuff. So can we come by and just interview you for like 15, 20 minutes uh, for, about this, what? for this movie? So I, so they said the movie is about the opioid crisis uh, in Lawrence. Okay. And initially what they wanted to do was like 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of the film to be about the drug trade in Lawrence, and then they were going to do the rest of the movie was going to be them going to other communities where the drugs ended up. Oh, so this is like a documentary and movie. And show. It's kind of a documentary, but it's really not. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's no uh, narrator telling you what to think. Okay. It just starts right off. It just starts yeah. right off in Lawrence. Um, so, uh, so I said, you know what? Sure. I mean, I'm in the middle of like 15 million things, but if you guys want to come by, uh, you know, how's tomorrow? They're like, well, we're about eight blocks from your house. Can we come by now? Uh, okay, fine. So they show up with these big, like, million-dollar cameras, right? They're, like, bigger mm-hmm. than my office. We had to actually move um, a couple of chairs out of my office to make room for them. These five guys came in. And they interviewed me for about an hour and a half. And the whole interview, I'm thinking, I thought this was going to be like, you know, like a 10, 15-minute interview. But whatever. It's fun. I like being interviewed. So whatever. So at the end of the interview, they said, uh, you know, this is really interesting. Um, we know that you drive around Lawrence and you go to shooting calls and overdose calls and fires and stuff when you're live on Facebook. Would it be okay if we came with you for a couple of nights? Because we'd like to get some live action shots of, like, what's going on in Lawrence. So I said, okay, fine. Um, I have a very small car, but if you guys think you can fit all this equipment in and stuff, and I, I did. I went to storage and pulled everything out of my car to make room for these guys. Met them at Salvatore's. They loaded everything in. We drove around for two or three nights. And by the third night, I'm thinking, if the first 15 minutes of this movie is, if it's only going to be the first 15 minutes of this movie, most of what they're getting, they're not going to use, right? It's all going to be stuff that's going to end up on the cutting room floor. So I was very open and I was very uh, honest about a lot of stuff, knowing that most of what I said wasn't going to make it anyway, right? Um, they left, and they called me back about maybe a month later. And they said, Tom, you know, we went back to L.A., we started cutting the footage, and um, we'd like to come back. There's a couple things we want to do. Would you mind if we came back and did another ride-along with you? Fine. So they came back. We did two or three more nights of ride-alongs. Ran into Willie Lantigua. We saw some drug overdoses. We saw a couple of shooting incidents. Um, this happened like six more times. So by the end of <coughs> by the end of uh, I'd say September, they had come out at least five or six times, followed me around. Um, at one point, they had a guy behind us in a camera following in a different car, uh, while they had a camera within my car, and we just. We just basically went through Lawrence and just showed people what was real, which is kind of like what I do on Facebook Live anyway. Fast forward to November when the election happens between Willie Lantigua and, uh, and uh, Dan Rivera. And they called and they said, listen, the election's tomorrow. We just landed at Logan. We know you're going to be driving around on election day getting results and talking to people and getting stories for the, for the paper. Would you mind if we came with you one more time? Great. And I'm thinking, like, they're putting a lot of time into the first 15 minutes of this movie. Like, this is, this is uh, you know, these guys are really dedicated. And I'm pretty sure that, like, 90% of what we're getting out here, they're not going to use. But listen, if they want to come, I'm game. Like, I, 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 love the, I love the concept of the way they, they sold it to me. So they came out on Election Day. Um, got some great footage. I had them interview Marcos Devers because I really desperately wanted Marcos to get into this video because he's a friend of mine. Um, and then at the end, they came back to the office, and everybody kind of came, all the producer guys came in, and the guy that's financing a DJ came in, and they sat down, and they said, um, we kind of have a confession. And the confession is that, remember when we said we were only doing the first 15 minutes in Lawrence, and we are going to go like somewhere else? 
we were so captivated by what we were seeing when we were driving around that first night, and when we flew back to L.A. and started editing, we decided to make you the whole movie. So I'm not literally the whole movie. There's a whole bunch of other people in it. There's a lot of other stuff in it that had nothing to do with me. Um, but I, from the trailers that they showed me, I'm like two-thirds of the movie, and they gave me top billing on the, on the movie poster. So if you go to valleypatriot.com, you can read uh, the press release that D.J. Browner uh, from Anthem Films sent to us that we could release. You can see the movie poster. Uh, it's a temporary movie poster. It's, the movie poster is going to change. Uh, my suggestion was to put the skyline of Lawrence, superimpose it onto that poster. Um, but I was really, really um, honored, A, that they chose me to do this, uh, that they liked what I do, and that when I looked at the movie poster that they sent me, they gave me top billing. It's starring Tom Duggan, like the first one. So I'm very excited about this project, and I can't really talk too much about what's in the movie, um, but here's what I can tell you. Uh, it's in the final stages of post-production. I know that they're talking about doing a movie premiere in Boston, hopefully in the next couple of months. Uh, I know Justin is going to be here on this program, Justin Morrow, who's from right here in Salem, New Hampshire, by the way. Um, his mom still lives here. Uh, they're gonna be, he's going to be on, and I guess a couple of other guys who produced this movie are going to be on the show two weeks from today, June 5th, and um, hoping that they're going to have a movie trailer to show. So those of you who listen to us on the audio, um, for June 5th, what you might want to do is, if you're listening to the audio, you might want to pull up YouTube, you might want to actually watch uh, the video uh, of this program on YouTube so you can actually watch the movie trailer. And hopefully they'll be able to release more information about this. Um, there's a lot of local people in this, a lot of junkies or addicts, whatever the politically correct term is now. Um, they, they interviewed a lot of people, doctors, nurses at the hospital, um, you know, people that are helping to feed the homeless on the streets. And uh, I really believe that Lawtown, if this movie takes off and this movie is as widely seen as I think it's going to be, I really believe that what these guys have done by putting this movie together is going to change the dis national discussion on the opioid crisis because we're doing it wrong. We're, we're doing it all wrong. It's getting far worse every single day. How do you think it's going to change it? Uh, uh, <laughs> in order to answer that, I would have to divulge stuff that's in the movie. But I think what we're doing now is wrong, and we are focusing on short-term treatments. We're focusing on... Um, blaming the people who are addicted. We're focusing on who politically is responsible. Um, is it the drug companies? Is it the government? Is it, it's all of them. It's all of them. It's the government. It's the drug companies. It's, it's our local politicians who do absolutely shit about this. Um, you look at, just look at Lawrence, okay, because this is going to go right into our next story. You look at Lawrence, drive through Lawrence, and you see addicted homeless people on almost every major city corner with a sign begging. You go to 7-Eleven and you come out and at least two or three people are gonna hit you up for a dollar or a cigarette. Um, you come out of a restaurant on Common Street and someone's accosting you as you're getting into your car, uh, asking you for a dollar or for cigarettes or for food. And I don't know how, and this is nothing against these people individually, but I don't know how the mayor and the city council can drive through Lawrence every day and live in this environment and See the human devastation of a 23-year-old black kid standing on the corner of Broadway and Canal Street every day begging for money for food and just keep going. And then when they have their city council meetings, not address it. When they're doing their budget, giving absolutely zero, and I mean zero dollars, uh, to try and combat the addiction problem and the homeless problem in Lawrence. And one of the funniest scenes in the movie, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, but I, it, it just stuck out because I saw one of the trailers. One of the funniest scenes in the movie is they interviewed me, and they said, um, you know, what, what, what's going to happen when we interview some of these politicians? Because we're going to interview some of these politicians. Um, you know, what do you think they're going to say? Because you're blaming some of the politicians. And I said, I'll tell you exactly what they're going to say. They're going to say... Oh, it's not our problem. It's the state should do more. The federal government should do more. It's, it's housing and urban development should be doing more. And then they cut. The next scene is Dan Rivera saying, well, it's not our problem. The state should do more. The federal government should do more. Verbatim, and right? Almost, almost verbatim as if like they had played my scene for him and he just repeated it, but that, but that didn't happen. Um, so you look, at, you look at Lawrence and what this movie is, I know how, the, I know how our detractors 
and the Dan Rivera supporters are going to spin this once it comes out. It's going to be, this is a movie that makes Lawrence look bad. They hate Lawrence. We're brown people. It's all about racism. That's how they're going to spin it. But this is not really about Lawrence. It is. It's about Lawrence because it's in Lawrence. But it's about how Lawrence is a microcosm for the rest of the country. This is going on everywhere. This isn't just going on in Lawrence. What's happening in Lawrence is happening in Holyoke and Springfield. It's happening in North Andover. It's happening in Methuen. Manchester. Uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. It's happening everywhere. And the only difference between the cities and the suburbs is that the suburbs can hide it and the cities can't. And so when you drive through Springfield or Lawrence or Holyoke or Waltham or some of these other cities, you see it everywhere. But when you drive through North Andover, you don't see it. When you drive through Methuen, you really don't see it. And that's because in North Andover and Methuen and Andover, they hide it really good. If they find somebody living in a tent out in Harold Parker State Forest, they kick them the hell out. And where do they go? Like if you're an Andover, let's say you're an Andover residence with a million dollar home. And you've been living in Andover for 20 years. And you've paid oodles of taxes, right, on that million dollar home year after year. And then suddenly you go bankrupt. Your company goes under, your wife throws you out. Something happens and you become destitute. Does Andover have services for their own citizens in Andover who suddenly become destitute? They don't. Does Methuen have that? They don't. How about North Andover? How about Tewksbury? How about Dracut? No, they don't. Well, now you're talking about something else. You're not talking about drug addiction right now, necessarily. You're just talking about somebody who doesn't have any money anymore. Right. Okay. Oh, so, what, so what happens... So are, you, are you becoming a liberal Democrat? Is that no, what I'm hearing? No, not okay. at all. All right. Not at all. <laughs> just but, but, what it, but what happens right. to those people yes. who live in those communities who suddenly become destitute where there are no services in their own community for them that they pay taxes in, where do they go? They go to Lawrence, right? They go to Lawrence because there's soup kitchens, there's a methadone clinic, there's daybreak homeless shelters... Uh, because Lawrence, even though the city of Lawrence spends zero dollars, the state has spent money, and private organizations like St. Patrick's Church runs Cor Unum, which is a restaurant for homeless people. And it's not a soup kitchen. It's a restaurant. It's like a full restaurant. Um, and anybody can go. Uh, there are services in Lawrence for homeless people. So those people in Andover and Drake and Tewksbury and wherever end up going to Lawrence. And if they're homeless, they're going to end up either in a tent somewhere or they're going to end up at Daybreak Homeless Shelter, which has a heroin factory next door. So Lawrence is a, is a magnet for the destitute right. in, in this area. Right. Okay. And so if you never tried heroin before in your life, but you used to make a million dollars a year and now you're living on the streets of Lawrence, it's not going to be very long before you be, become a junkie. It's oh, not I, be, I don't. It's not gonna, I, I, don't see I, it, I don't think so. I see it and I talk to these people every day. Now, I agree, mm. Paul, it shouldn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way for everybody, but for the vast majority of people that I talk to, they're from Rhode Island, they're from Tewksbury, they're from South Boston, they're from Dracut. Uh, one guy's from Swampscott that I was talking to the other night. Never had a drug problem before they became homeless and before they went to Lawrence. And then suddenly it was everywhere. I think it can happen. I, I just don't think that it's a... Uh Something that happens to a lot of people. I guess you, you're saying that most people who are financially dest destitute... Uh, almost uh, automatically get into cocaine and, and, and heroin? Heroin, yeah. I don't know. I don't yep. I, anyway, it, se it seems like you're beginning the, your, your premise with this whole thing is that the government can do something about this. The government can do something about this. Okay. The government absolutely can do something about this. And that the government is shirking its responsibility? Yes. The first thing the government can do about this is stop blaming other people Stop blaming other government agencies. Get off your ass and do something about it. And, and here's why... Here's so why one thing they can do about it is to do something about it. Right. Okay. Right. Makes sense. So Elizabeth Warren, every time she runs for election, she comes to Lawrence and she talks about the poor Latinos and racism and the downtrodden and those who are less fortunate than us, as if she's doing anything about it. When Ed Markey runs for Congress, uh, runs for Senate, he comes to Lawrence, he's, he goes to, Spring, uh, to Phillips Street, and has a press conference in front of the home where he grew up or his parents grew up and talks about how Lawrence will, quote, always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> and then when the election's over, they go back to Washington, they don't do shit, all right? You have state reps, you have city councilors who campaign in Lawrence on the backs of the poor, and yet Karina Papalato, who runs the Daybreak Homeless Shelter, has to beg for crumbs out of the state budget every single year to try and just get enough money to take care of the 55 people who are homeless and sleep at the Daybreak Homeless Shelter every single night, every night. 
Um, generally speaking, are you saying that they should focus more on Lawrence or, sh or should they focus more in the suburbs so that the surrounding towns have things like Lawrence has? Well, I think the surrounding suburbs, there's, there's two things going on here, Paul. Uh -huh. On the one hand, I would like to see them through in city council. I would like to see North End of a town meeting allocate money in their budget at the senior center or the, or the youth center or some other city building to offer services for North Andover residents who become destitute because that's fewer people funneling into Lawrence causing problems in Lawrence, right? So if Methuen was doing this, and they wouldn't have to spend a lot of money because they don't have that big of a problem, right? So spend a little bit of money in your own community to help those people who pay taxes their whole life and suddenly became destitute. So those people are causing problems in Lawrence. The other thing is, if you're going to be a politician and you're going to go to Lawrence and you're going to campaign on the backs of the poor Elizabeth Warren. And people like Karina Papalato have to beg, borrow, and steal and, and hold private fundraisers and call private businesses to try and get donations to keep her doors open every day so the 55 homeless people that stay there can continue to do that. Elizabeth Warren, with one friggin' phone call, could solve Karina Papalato's problems. She's Elizabeth Warren. She could pick up the phone right now and make a couple of phone calls and call people in government and say, make Daybreak a priority. Get them the funding that they need. Find, call Karina and find out what she needs and give it to her. And because she's Elizabeth Warren, they will do it. We all know how politics works, right? She's never done that. Neither has Ed Markey. Neither has Nikki Songus. Neither has any other Democrat. And by the way, Lawrence is completely represented by Democrats. There's no Republican representing Lawrence. So these Democrats come out, they play party politics, they cry about racism, they distract you with uh, you know, white privilege and all this other stuff. But you know what they're not doing? They're not fixing the problem. And the first part of fixing the problem is making those phone calls and making sure that places like Daybreak, who are dealing with 55 homeless people every single night, while there's, by the way, another 300 still sleeping on the street because there isn't enough room for them at daybreak, make some phone calls and make it happen. You, how, about, how about make a phone call to a private uh, uh, business owner that owns one of these mills in Lawrence and make some kind of a deal with them so that they can provide housing for some of these homeless people so they don't walk in the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning knocking little old ladies over for their pocketbooks so they can get money for their drugs. How about just that, right? But they don't want to do that. What they want to do is they want to come to Lawrence, pretend they care about poor people, and then leave Lawrence and go back to Washington and go back to the State House and say, oh, yeah, well, we really care about poor people, as oh. if they do, because they don't. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, President Trump does the same thing, doesn't he? Doesn't how, he doesn't how is that? Well, doesn't he come to Manchester and Lawrence and cities like that and, and, and express verbally concern for the, about the right, but he's crisis? Doing, but he's doing something about it. He's, alloca right, he's allocating money in the budget. He has increased the money in health and human services for addiction counseling for additional beds. In fact, I think um, we had uh, Essex County Sheriff Kevin Coppinger on the show a couple of weeks ago. I think he said he just got a couple of federal grants to help them with their interdiction program inside the prisons. And he's openly going after MS-13. Yeah, I mean, one he, of the biggest drug cartels. He's actually in the now States. you can, you can agree or disagree with what he's doing, but he's doing something. What's Elizabeth Warren doing? What, is, what, what, are our, what are our state reps, other than Diana DiZaglio, what are our state reps doing? Because Diana's actually doing stuff. The rest of them, what are they doing? Where are they? I, I, I don't see them. I drive around Lawrence every night, and I drive by city councilors, and I hunk and I wave. I go, hi, how you doing, councilor so-and-so? And they're driving by the same homeless people I am, but when I watch city council meetings on TV, they never once allocate $1 for okay, it. Okay, so you think that um, politicians should get money in order to have more... Homeless shelters, is that what I'm hearing? And, and um, uh, soup kitchens. Um, homeless shelters and soup kitchens? Housing is probably the most important thing right. right now. And then the second thing is having, having enough beds in detox centers, having enough detox centers so people who are addicted can get clean. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to piss off a lot of people in this industry. I'm just going to say it anyway because I believe it to be true. 80 to 85% of the people on the streets of Lawrence don't want help. They don't want ho transitional housing. Right. They don't want to get clean. They don't want to go to Spectrum and go to detox. They, don't want, they, they, go to, they go to Daybreak. They go to House of Mercy. They get free meals at Corunum. They get free meals at Bread and Roses, and then they do it all again the next day. And they like the lifestyle they're living. Fine. I refuse to help anybody who doesn't want help. But then there's that other 15% who don't, 
who really do want the help, like Louis Rosalie. We're trying to ha- we've, we've, we've gotten him clean. Uh, he was clean for 10 days. Yesterday, we're not too sure if he was clean. But um, there, there are people who want to get clean. There are people who want help. Um, a guy, Jose, outside House of Mercy, came over to me yesterday when I was live waiting for Louis Rosalie to come out so I could give him a ride somewhere. Um, and he said, you know, I, I, I was told that I might be able to get into Windsor House, which is a rooming house in Lawrence. He said, but I can't remember when the appointment is, and I don't want to miss it. Um, do you think you can help me? So, yeah, so Carrie from House of Mercy was on my live feed. She sent me a text message as to what time he's supposed to be there, got out of the car, went back into House of Mercy, and said, yeah, this is when you need to be there. Now, this is a guy that had tattoos all over his face. He's obviously a former gang member. Uh, he obviously has left the life because he's, he was clean when I saw him. Um, and he was just so grateful. He was like, oh, my God, thank you so much, because I know if I missed it, it would be like months before I could get back on that list. So there are a lot of people who don't want help, and a lot of the homeless people in Lawrence suck. A lot of them are exploiting the good nature of those who try to help them, and not only that, but they exploit other homeless people. They beat up other homeless people. Uh, they spread rumors in the street that daybreak won't take you if you don't have an ID, so they can save a bed for themselves or their friends. They're not nice people, but they're still hungry. And I don't know how you can drive by somebody at a bus stop at 2 o'clock in the morning, see somebody sleeping on a bench who's hungry, and not stop and feed them. And uh, look, I'm a right-wing Tea Party guy, right? I, I don't think the government should be in the business of solving all of these problems, but certainly they should be addressing them. And I don't know how city councilors every day can drive through the city of Lawrence. I don't know how state reps can drive through the city of Lawrence, state senators drive through the city of Lawrence, see this human carnage and this human waste, and keep going. And then do nothing about it. I just I don't understand it at all, which is going to get to our next story, unless you have a question. Um, I mean, if, if we had time, I would love to delve beneath the surface about the difference between solving it and uh, addressing it, as you just mentioned. You well, think, you think he's politicians so good at the shameless plug. I know. It's I'm, unbelievable. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe but of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just wondering. You, you think that politicians should address it, but they should not be in the business of solving well, it. Because you can't solve it, no, right? I, well, that's another question. But what is the difference between addressing it and solving well, it? You're, there's two things that people yeah. who are homeless or people who are addicted need. They need something right now. So right? emergency help, right. Emer- emergency right. care. Right. You need, they need something right now. They need food. They need a blanket because it's cold. Um, they need um, housing, temporary housing if it's raining or it's cold. They need underarm. They need toothbrush. They need uh, tampons if they're females, right? They have immediate needs that are not being met. But they also have long-term needs that need to be met, like trying to find them permanent housing, like trying to get them into detox so that they're not addicted anymore, like trying to integrate them into some kind of a group setting so that they have some kind of support network. And you think the government should be involved in both of those layers, well, right? I, no, well, I think that the government should be involved in the first. Yeah. And I think that they should at least be pushing the ball downhill on the second. Well, let's be in involved. O- in order for the second to actually work, in order for the long-term stuff to work, you need the help of the business communities and your churches and your civic organizations, as St. Patrick's does with Cor Unum. It's great that St. Patrick's feeds people every night. But wouldn't it have been better, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just thinking out loud. Wouldn't it have been better, instead of building a restaurant to feed people, when we already have other places that are feeding people, but how about building like a flop, what we used to call flop houses, where they'd have a, a bedroom and a bathroom. They could maybe have a hot plate if they want to cook some food or something. And put 50 units of housing there so that these people aren't sleeping out in the cold in the wintertime, right? So it's, and again, I'm not criticizing St. Pat's. They're doing wonderful, they're doing God's work for sure. Um, they're feeding people who are hungry, and that's great. And it's not caught coming out of our tax money, that's even better. You think shelter is more important than food? I do, because there's plenty of other places you can get food. You've got Bread and Roses, you've got Daybreak, you've got a whole bunch of other places. You've got uh, Movement Family, Mike Jen, Mike, uh, crap, I can't believe I screwed up his last name. Mike Gorman from the movement family and his group goes out and they, feed, and they feed people. There's lots of private organizations and private groups that are out there helping. And God bless them for doing that. And, and uh, Carry at House of Mercy, they feed people, they give them lunch. Um, housing is really the most important thing. When you find yourself with no place to live, everything collapses. Mm. You can't even get a check if someone owes you money because there's no place to mail it, right? Mm-hmm. You, have, you have no... You have no stability in your life whatsoever. Every day, it's just a matter of meeting your immediate need right now. It goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If you spend all of your time trying to meet your basic immediate needs, there's never any room for growth. You never, you, you never make your life any better. And I think the government, at, certainly at the local level, should be doing more to help people 
certainly at the state level, should be doing more to help people. But where the hell are these federal politicians like, like Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren who come to Lawrence and exploit poor people for political power, and then when the election's over, you don't see them till the next election? You know? It sounds like that's really what your issue is. Well, that, that's what pisses that me people off. People are using the homeless and the downtrodden right. to boost their political power, power yeah. and then doing nothing about it in the, in the end. Right. Absolutely right. Now, let's, let's, let's segue this into another, into another story that actually goes with this. So we posted a breaking story yesterday, Paul. City bulldozes another homeless <coughs> encampment on the train bridge in South Lawrence. So we know that last uh, August or September, Mayor Dan Rivera ordered the destruction of what we were calling Tent City under the Casey Bridge. So the Casey Bridge has these big arcs underneath it, and um, it started off with three or four homeless people pitching tents under there. Everything was fine. They weren't bothering anybody, so nobody did anything about it. Um, I used to go down and used to bring food to people. And it's, by the way, not a very safe place. So if, you're, if, you, if you have or are thinking of doing something like that, don't do it alone. Bring somebody with you. Um, then the three tents became five tents, and the five tents became 20 tents. And the next thing we knew, we had an entire criminal enterprise going on under there. You had a guy under there that was literally charging homeless people to sleep under the bridge. He right? was charging homeless yeah. people. Yeah. So in other words, you can't sleep under here, and if you try, he would beat you up, and he would have his minions beat you up. Uh, oh, you don't have any money to sleep under here because you're homeless? That's okay. You can go out and sell heroin on the corner. So a lot of these guys that were standing on the corner with signs that say, you know, homeless, please help, uh, they would get a text message that, you know, every 15, 20 minutes, there's going to be a red car come up. He's going to put, you know, $50 in your in your little cup, and you're going you're gonna to toss him a little heroin, and that's how it's going to work. This will be his plate, or this is what kind of car he's going to have. And so they had this whole criminal enterprise going on. You had females under there who were told that, hey, look, if you can't sleep, if you don't have any money to sleep under the bridge, you don't have any money to pay rent down here, um, you know, we can always trick you out. You, know, you can have sex with uh, the guy that was doing it or any of his friends or whoever it is that he sold you to. So once we found out that was going on, we had a veteran tell us that was going on. I didn't believe it. And those of you who follow me live know that I spent most of last summer in my car at Pemberton Park doing surveillance of Tent City. And once we had enough video of everything that we needed, we went to the mayor's office, we went to the police, and we said, look, this is what's going on. I'm not looking for anybody to get locked up. I'm not looking for anybody to go to court. I'm not looking to take away anybody's stuff. But this needs to stop. Because Pemberton Park is a beautiful park that, was, that the state spent millions of dollars to make beautiful, and families can't enjoy it. There's needles everywhere. There's garbage everywhere. So anyways, they went and they cleaned all that up. Some of those people ended up on the south side of the Falls Bridge, where the train bridge, it's a defunct train bridge, it's not used anymore. And they started setting up structures. Like one guy actually like got like panels and sheetrock and built himself like a little shanty house. Um, and they had like, I don't know, five or ten uh, uh, tents up there. I know, I'm eating way too much time, I'm sorry. Um, Yesterday, we were out looking for Louis Rosalie, and one of the homeless people said, hey, you got to get over to the south side of the bridge. they got bulldozers. They're just bulldozing the, the entire thing. That's exactly what they did, Paul. They went in yesterday, and they just bulldozed all of those shanties, all of those tents, and it has created quite a stir. We've got video on valleypatriot.com if you want to go look at the story. Um, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I was about to ask I you think that. It's <laughs> a, I think it's a good thing. All right. Because as I said, when it's three or four people, when it's three or four tents, they're not bothering anybody. It's actually not a problem. So who cares? But once it starts to grow, it takes on a life of its own. And while we were there yesterday, we saw human feces. We saw needles everywhere, stolen bikes. Um, it, was, it was just a horror show. And along the banks of the Merrimack River, you've got all these needles and all this garbage. Because when people are living in, a, in an encampment like this, um, you know, where does their garbage go? It's not like the city garbage trucks pull up and they you know, have barrels that they can empty every day or every week. So you just have piles and piles of garbage that have rats running around in them and bugs and all kinds of stuff. And it just becomes a health hazard. So Mayor Dan Rivera, in cooperation with the police and DPW, went out and they, and they, and they cleaned it all out. Uh, that creates another problem that nobody seems to want to address. Where do these people go? Daybreak is full. Yeah. They have 55 capacity. Now, if Elizabeth Warren had made a phone call the last time she was running for office and she got a better building for daybreak and they could accommodate 155 people, 
then the people over on the south side of the bridge that had their stuff bulldozed yesterday would actually have a place to go. And they wouldn't be causing problems. But they don't. How long has this homeless problem been a problem, Lawrence? I'd say in the last five years. What's changed? Um, I think, well, I, I, it's a combination of things. The heroin epidemic has really exploded. You have an increase in people using heroin, which then makes them homeless because they spend all their money on heroin. Um, the other problem that we have is we used to have a lot of rooming houses in Lawrence. And granted, they were problems. Cops were always there. There were always mm. fires, drugs, prostitution. I get it. But as they closed down all of these rooming houses, there used to be five rooming houses on Essex Street. Five years ago, six years ago, there were five rooming houses on Essex Street. Um, there were three rooming houses on Common Street. And there were at least two rooming houses on South Union. One left on South Union, none on Essex Street. Um, two that I know of on Broadway are left. And that's it. So when we used to have cheap places for destitute people to be able to live, you didn't have as much of this going on. Now, with the opioid crisis and with the lack of housing, these people are literally, it's like, it's like we drive through Lawrence during the day on a nice day. It's like, it's like the walking dead. It really is. I'm not over-exaggerating that at all. Drive through Lawrence. It's like the walking dead. You have these homeless people who, are, and they look homeless. It's, <laughs> it's obvious what they are. Walking through the city with signs, begging for money. Um, but it seems like what you're saying is, when the government does get involved and they have things for destitute people, they, re they screw it up. They relatively quickly <laughs> screw it up, and it's better that they're bulldozed. So, I mean, is what's the, what's the answer here? I don't know that the, I don't know that I have an answer. I don't pretend to be an expert. I have an answer. I have one answer, but I know what we're doing now is wrong. We're doing it wrong, and we can't keep closing our eyes and 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 a pox on the house of anybody that can drive by a hungry guy and not feed him. I have people come up to me all the time. Hey, can I can I have a dollar for some food? I'm hungry. And I always say, are you hungry? Are you really hungry? You're going to use it for drugs. No, I'm hungry. What if I went through the drive-thru and got you a number one Big Mac? Would that be okay? Oh, that would be wonderful. If they say that would be wonderful, I go buy them food. If they say, no, 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 that's okay, then you know that they just wanted it for drugs and you just, you just keep going. But there's not a lot of people doing that. You know, you got Mike from the, the Movement family doing it. You've got Carrie at House of Mercy. You've got um, Bread and Roses in Corunum. You've got uh, Daybreak. Nobody from the city, though. Nobody from the state was the federal government. Somebody's got to do something. The business community needs to come together. Private organizations need to come together. And I don't have the answer, but I know what we're doing is not it. That music, I think, means we got to go. The breakdown of the family and radical individualism of modern life, that's the cause. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Paul's got it figured out. Fred the Barber on uh, South Broadway in Lawrence. A $15 haircut. You can't beat that. Fred the Barber is sponsored by Ken DeLuca, who is a customer of Fred the Barber, who um, said, came to the office and said, you know, I want to help your show, and I want to help Fred the Barber, so I'm going to buy a sponsorship for Fred the Barber. That's and awesome. At some point in the next couple of days, i got to go get my haircut again. So I shop with the people who do business with us, and my crew shops with the people who do business with us. So my writers, my advertisers, people who support our show – because they support us, they will do business with the people who are doing business with us. Then you get A&M Auto Body. We get our friend Angelo over there, Angelo Memolo over there. And uh, he does uh, great work on your car. So if you got a ding in your car, somebody hits you, you got a mechanical problem, you bring it to A&M Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. You drop your car off. You walk down half a block to Fred the Barber, get your hair cut while you're waiting. And you go back to uh, pick up your car, and Angelo will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Then we get Joe Zingales, Rosanna Zingales-Lopez from Century 21. They have been with us from the very first edition of the Valley Patriot. They've been with us from the very first Paying Attention show, which was in 1999, back when he was Remax. He's not Remax anymore. Now he's Century 21, Team Zingales. And they sponsor our bash. They gave a $1,000 scholarship this year. They gave a $2,000 scholarship last year. And that money comes right out of their pocket. That's not like they're collecting money from other people and just using it like I do. They actually took money out of their pocket. So I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Lights Security needed an extra security guard. Um, security guard. I'm not really a guard, but like an extra security guy to do 
private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what? As busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show. They sponsor the Valley Patriot. They give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm going to go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person and you're short, I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. And so I, ha- so I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, if you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. All right. All righty. Welcome back. I know we burned through most of the show with this local story, but I thought it was important enough to talk about, especially since it kind of goes with our movie. I think if you watch the movie, you'll understand exactly what we're talking about. Uh, and as soon as we have a release date, we will let you know. It's called Law Town. It was um, produced by Anthem Films in Los Angeles. Um, there's a lot of local people in it. It's actually, I've seen some of the trailers. It's amazing. Um, I was thinking like PBS documentary kind of thing. It's not anything like that. It's like a full Hollywood production. Um, hi, I'm Tom Duggan. Welcome back. Paul Morano, my co-host. Maddie's got the day off. We've got Rich Russell joining us today, which is always fun to have. Um, we talked in the last segment about the opioid crisis. We talked about uh, the city of Lawrence. And I want to reiterate again before we move on to our next topic. Uh, this is not about bad-mouthing Lawrence, but it is about showing Lawrence as a microcosm for the rest of the country because what's going on in Lawrence is going on everywhere. And, uh, and I can't stress that enough, and hopefully the movie will also, uh, will also stress that so that we don't hear the minute the movie comes out from Dan Rivera, this is about brown people, it's about racism, they're picking on us. Um, but we do have another story we want to talk about. Now, Paul, I don't know if you remember, about a month or so ago, what's the date on this story? Hold on, let me, let me, let me see if there's a date on it. Uh, Channel 5, so this was April 19th. Channel 4, 5, and 7 did a big story, huge, top of the news. That white lives matter, the racist term white lives matter was painted on a Boston business shortly before they were to open. I think it was like an African-American bookstore of some kind. Maybe I'm wrong about that. So Channel 4, 5, and 7 did a similar story. And I just want you to hear what, and we're only picking on five because this is the one we have, but they all did the same stupid stuff. Go ahead, Jonathan. Good morning, Doug and Antoinette. The words white lives matter spray painted here, and you can see some of it's already been painted over. Uh, but this is on the side of a building of a business that's called Black Market in the heart of Roxbury. Uh, the graffiti happened sometime in the last month. Black Market is a pop-up co-op which houses minority vendors. It opened last summer and a grand reopening is planned this weekend. The owner calls the vandalism a racial slur. Of course she does. It's a slap in our face. This is the epicenter of the black community in Boston. It's the sentiment of privilege that I think folks are just afraid of the story not being about them. Pro-black does not mean anti-white. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really kind of does. Boston police are investigating who is behind the vandalism. Their report says the motivation at this point is unclear. Now, a group called Graffiti Busters is expected here tomorrow to clean this up and wipe this away. Live this morning in Roxbury, Sarah Conji, WCVB News Center 5. Well, we could spend an hour just on that alone, right, Paul? Just the fact that if you say white lives matter, that's racist. According, but we're not against white people. Well, that's a slur. Right? We're said, not, we're we're not against white slur. people, but if you say white lives matter, that's a racial slur. What, wait, what? How, does the, how do those two? Uh, anyways, so this story hit, and God bless Turtle Boy Sports. If you're, not, if you're not following Turtle Boy Sports, you're missing a lot. Turtleboysports.com um, did some research, and it didn't take them much to find out that this story, once again, another bogus racist story, was nothing more than a lie. And how did they do that? They went to Google Earth, and they pulled up pictures from a year earlier Mm. and scrawled on the side of that building a year earlier, it said White Lives Matter. The same thing? So they took the picture from Google Earth, and they posted it with a story. Uh, Their story was posted on April 19th, so... What was the other one? April. They were both April 19, right? So the same day that Channel 4, 5, and 7 couldn't do their own research, 
to see if this story was true. As soon as somebody told them that it was true, they just automatically believed it because it fits their narrative. And they put it on the news as if it was a fact. And it turns out it wasn't a fact. Well, he, well hold on. But here's the problem that I have. Okay, the incompetence of 4, 5, and 7 not doing their job, that's pretty bad. But once Turtle Boy Sports blew the lid off of this and proved that it wasn't true. Does anybody remember 4, 5, or 7 doing Retracted, a news story saying, yeah. hey, remember that story we told you about yesterday about White Lives Matter? Well, that's been called into question. We realize now that, it, that, the, that the woman in this video that we interviewed is a liar. Did they ever do that? No, they never did that. They continue to let people believe, walking around Boston, that that story was true. And it's not true. Just like the, just like the lesbian waitress, just like all, all the other bogus uh, hate stories that we talk about in the, in the media. All right, now go ahead, Paul. I'm a little confused, and I, right. I think uh, perhaps a lot of the listeners are too. Are you saying April 19th, it was found, this White Lives Matter thing was found? Claimed. Uh, claimed to have found, been cl found. Okay, it was claimed to have found on April 19th of what, 2017 or 2018? Uh, you're going to kill me. It's right. Okay. Let me pull it up for you, Paul, just so that you're so completely and totally exact on all of this. April 19th, 2018. It was this year. We talked about it on the show. All right, so then... then Google Earth had a picture of this exact same um, uh, graffiti from in the exact April same of 2017. In the exact same place a, yes. year, a year earlier. Yes. Okay, so it was, it was there for a whole year and the news didn't catch it then? Well, the news only caught it in 2018 because the people who run that black business yeah. called the news and made a big thing of it. Okay. And they so lied. They, so they, wait, they waited a year. They were they lied. Well, it might have been there for five years. We don't know how long it was there. But we know that they were having a grand opening for this business, mm. and their claim, as all bogus racism claims are, their claim was, isn't it horrible white supremacists are trying to stop us from opening this store? We feel, we feel intimidated by the racism of, of white lives matter on our black business, which, by the way, is racist in and of itself. Um, was, it, was it a black business uh, in April 17th when the, it was actually written? I don't know. Yeah, because it could have just been on an abandoned building, right? right? That's and right. then they took it over, and then all of a sudden they're saying, hey, look at this. Yeah, wow, look at this. But they, but but they, did, but they didn't notice it the year before. They didn't notice it when they bought the building. Yeah, they didn't notice it when they were moving the, the furniture in. I don't so know about you guys, but anytime I've ever purchased a piece of property or rented a piece of property, right. I've always done a walk around the outside, walk <laughs> around the inside, see Obvious. what's Paul, going Paul on. Likes to, Paul likes to always go the opposite of whatever you say. Like He's always going to try and make – but that's good because it keeps me on my game, right? He is good that way. He's excellent at that. Oh, that's what I'm here for. Excellent. So my, my two problems with this story is, A, 4, 5, and 7, and the rest of them, too. I'm not giving anybody any free pass on this one. They all did a story based on, like, Channel 4 saw that Channel 5 was doing the story, so they went out and they did the story. But nobody, not one person, not an intern, not a research person at Channel 4, 5, 7, WB25, Fox 25, whatever the other news stations are, New England Cable News, they all covered it. They all covered it as if it was real. They all covered it as if it was true, and not one of them bothered to do any research. Someone called them up and said, this is racism, and they all rushed down with their cameras, and they pretended it was real. And then when it was proven within a day by Turtle Boy Sports that it wasn't real, not one of them bothered to report that. They just allowed their viewers to walk around thinking that that story was true. And we cover this all the time, right, Paul? Like the lesbian waitress. Remember the story about um, some, some evil right-wing Christian couple wrote on the, on the receipt uh, at a restaurant, I'm not going to give you a tip because I don't agree with your lifestyle. And, it, and the 4, 5, and 7 ran with the story. For almost a week, they talked about that story. And it even made CNN. And then it turns out a week later, that evil right-wing Christian couple produced the actual receipt that didn't have anything written on it, and it turned out it was to be totally bogus. And did 4, 5, and 7 or CNN come out and say, hey, by the way, we've got new Correct information? Themselves. No, they yeah. never do that. Because they're not interested in informing you. They're interested in propaganda and telling you what to think. They're interested in promoting a political agenda. And that's the disgrace in all of this. This is a pox on the house of the American media, especially the Boston media. Paul. Agreed. Agreed. If you're going to um, cover a story, you should at least take the um, at least some shallow uh, uh, methods of trying to figure out whether it's true or not. No, I, I mean, I, I don't know if they have enough time to, to really delve into the whole thing and be investigative reporters, but at least ask something about it. Yeah, and at least do your job. Like if we write a story and it turns out we got something wrong, we always try mm -hmm. to correct it. Right. 
Oh, I mean, almost always. Like every once in a while, someone say, "Oh, it was on a Wednesday, and not a Thursday. You got that right. wrong." I'm not going to rewrite a whole story just for that. But if there's a if there's a material fact in the story that we get wrong, and someone can show us that we're wrong, we always try to we always try to correct it. And you're pretty good about covering yourself. I don't remember if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Just whatever. Right. When I'm when I'm doing my initial story, because everybody knows I get no sleep, right? So like, what day is today? I only know it's Thursday because we're here. But if we weren't here, I'd be in my office thinking it was Monday. You know what I mean? So. Um, I do have one thing that I wanted you to address, Paul, because I thought of you the minute it happened. Have you been watching the news about Donald Trump calls members of MS-13, the uh, El Salvadorian illegal alien gang, uh, he called them animals. I thought you'd bring this up. Yeah, of course we are. I wish we had another whole hour to talk about this. Um, I've been saying this for years, that there are people who need to be dehumanized based on their behavior. Not based on their race, not based on their class, not based on where they come from, but based on their behavior. And these guys in MS-13 are literally animals. And the Democrats and CNN, the Democrat Party and CNN, which is really kind of the same thing, went into overdrive lying to the public saying Donald Trump called immigrants animals. He's talking about immigrants. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, and this is what made me think of Paul, Nancy Pelosi came out. And she made a comment, and I wish I had it in front of me. She said something to the effect of, I can't believe, doesn't Donald Trump believe? In the sanctity of life. The sanctity of life, right. She said, in the the sanctity of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, that he would call Uh, somebody, that he would call human beings animals. And I'm thinking, this is a woman who's for abortion on demand up to fourth grade. This is a a woman who's defending MS-13, and on top of all that, she's now going to give morality lectures to Donald Trump? Are you kidding? Yeah, it was, it was an absolute uh, hypocritical statement of her. But she's always making hypocritical statements, so that, that's nothing new. In fact, it's, it seems if, if, you're, if you read Drudge today, uh, th- there are a lot of people questioning her, her mental capacity well, lately. I've been doing that for five yeah. years. I, re- I think she yeah. actually went around the bend five years ago. Yeah. But you're right. Uh, it was absolutely hypocritical. It was... Uh, Completely contradictory in what she said. We got about seven minutes, so I want to <laughs> I want to I want to delve into you and I have but always sparred on this issue. Yeah, like you you just mentioned that uh, these gang members are literally animals. They are. That's false. How is it? False? I mean, we can you can say let's call them animals, but <laughs> but the word literally literally has a uh, a definition so to it. So he's going to literally argue about literally. Are the not humans animals? animals, Paul? Yes, we're our animals. There you so go. if he uses the word literally, <laughs> ding, I ding, think ding, he's ding, got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, he didn't mean it in that way. Oh, sure. oh sure, now it's not literal. Now it's what I meant. Yes. Is it literal meant. or is it what I meant, Paul? They are okay. <laughs> they are they are literally animals. That is true. Yes. But they're not literally non-human animals. I and think that, they that's are, what, and that's what you meant. And you think they you're are? Right. I okay. do think that they are, and I agree with Dennis so, Prager. So it, if you if you act a certain way, you you begin to change your species, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, uh, I mean that's that's obviously wrong. I I, I completely I, disagree. I mean, I ag- I agree with your sentiments, and I think that they're acting like animals, yep. and uh, like, I think they're acting like brutes. Right. Uh, but to say that they are animals, it's it's simply false. Yeah. Go ahead. And and that matters and because. Well, because language is important, and we should try to um, uh, try to use it in uh, ways that. Um, convey the truth. Why? Are you concerned that Donald Trump may have hurt their feelings? No, and that's the, that's the, um, that's the problem, that, that's the error that Tom always has when we have these conversations. Yes. I'm not concerned about their feelings, I'm concerned about just using the language correctly. I think that's important. Call me crazy. It's muy importante. But we couldn't call you crazy because that wouldn't be right, Paul. Well, if I was crazy, <laughs> <laughs> then you could call me it. But you know, listen, my position is, isn't as always been what Dennis Prager, I think, a little bit more eloquently put in his column, and I posted yeah. it and I tagged you with it, that there are some people who, by their behavior, should be dehumanized. There are some people, at least with words, should be dehumanized because, because otherwise you've, you've cheapened humanity. Well, they, they dehumanize their, themselves by their behavior. Yes. So, so that part I agree. I don't know what you mean by they, sh- they should be dehumanized. They're, they have dehumanized verbally. themselves. Verbally, they, ah. they should be dehumanized okay. verbally. All right. Paul. Okay, so then uh, they should be called things that they're not, and that helps. Yes, okay. it does help because it distinguishes those of us who have a soul, those of us who have at least some modicum of humanity left, between those who don't. Uh, a guy who can take a machete and hack up a 12-year-old girl um, 
to the point to the point where her parents can't even identify her at the morgue. That's a friggin' animal. And that's somebody who we should, we should not be welcoming into the human race. It's not somebody that we should be defending on CNN. And it's certainly not somebody that the Democrat Party should be defending. And yet they do. They so hate Donald Trump that they're taking the side of Kim Jong-un, who's a murderous dictator over Donald Trump. They take the side of MS-13, which hacks up 12-year-old girls with machetes, over Donald Trump. They've completely lost their minds. There's no question about that. Yeah. They lost their minds. No, there's no, no doubt about it. And anybody who defends uh, people who do horrible things have basically lost their minds. Yeah. However, the only point I was making is, and if you read my Facebook post, I, I mentioned this, I, I think it's actually worse to call somebody who is in a coma a vegetable than it is to call a vicious gang member an animal. And, and, and my only point is... Yeah, but they're in a coma, so they don't care. It doesn't matter whether they <laughs> care or not. We should be accurate with our, uh, our, our language. And if you want to call somebody a very vicious thing, uh, call them a monster or something. Well, but he's not uh, a monster, Paul, because technically he's well, a human being, right? Well, a monstrous human being. I, I, think, I, think this is, I think you're becoming liberal, right? All right. We get down this rabbit hole about what we call things, and that's what the Democrats care about. They care about what we call things. They don't care what they are. They Nancy Pelosi and, uh, and Don Lemon on CNN, they don't care that a guy, from, for, for a guy in MS-13 snuck into the country as an illegal alien, took a machete, and hacked up a 12-year-old girl. That they don't care about. What they care about is that well, Donald Trump called them an animal. Well, that's, that's what they care. They yeah. care more about what you call I, things than what actually happens. Well, on that point, we agree. But uh, you just did the same thing. I think this guy, you're, should, you're, I think this guy should get severe, or these guys should get severe justice for what they do. Yeah, they should be executed. I want to see, see action. I don't n necessarily care about our... I don't think that it's all that important that you call them something that they're not. In order, I want to see in action, to too. I want them executed. I want them executed. I want them, no, I want them to never be able to threaten another human being ever again. And I know the liberal answer is, but why can't we just put them away where they can't hurt anybody? Newsflash. Putting them away does not mean that they don't have access to other human beings to victimize. You've got jail guards and other prisoners and psychologists and lawyers and cafeteria workers, all, all of whom go in and out of those prisons every day, that are victimized every day by people who have nothing to lose because there's no death penalty. I know you disagree. I um, would say that in principle, if you can, and if it's proven that you can keep the innocent safe without having recourse to the death penalty, you shouldn't use the death penalty. I agree with that. All right, so in principle, in we principle, agree. Yes. You think that in, in the reality of the jails that we have today, that's impossible. Right. All right, so that if you can, if you can commit, convince enough people that that's impossible, then the principle that I would hold would call for the death penalty now and then. Wow. Once in a while. 13 years later, we got him on board. No. I'm impressed. No. I am too. But I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. Listen, I'm, no, no. What I'm saying is I'm not convinced of that. Okay. I am convinced of that because right. I'm looking at what the reality is in the society we're living in right now. Yeah, if you're, you, you're if, interpreting if your If you reality. could get a guy from MS-13 who hacked up a 13-year-old girl and throw him in a hole in the ground, right, and he is never going to have any physical contact or access to another human being ever, and it's, a, and, it's a, and it's a hole in the ground that's fortified by steel and concrete, and he's never going to, you throw the food down to him like uh, Hannibal Lecter, like the right? Me medieval uh, dungeons. Right. You throw, then, then fine. Then I don't think we need to execute him. But since we don't have that, and until we have that, we need to be executing people who are too dangerous to breathe the same air as we do, who's too dangerous to walk amongst us even in a prison. It really, you, you almost have to cut the chicken's head off at this point because the gang is so notoriously violent. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start sending the message to them and the next gang that's going to come after them that we're not messing around here in the United States, I right. think that you're just opening the door to more violence. Right, and that's what's happening. Look at the increase in violence that's going I'm, on. I'm against killing. I'm against murder for sure. But in certain situations, you have to meet Violence with violence, you have to go head on. Right. And we are bigger than they are. Yeah. And just because we execute them, that doesn't mean we're no better than them. I hear that uh, argument by liberals all the time. Well, we have to be better than them. Well, we are better than them. And the fact that we're executing them proves that we're better than them. Because we're executing someone after a process, after a trial, whereas these guys just go out with a machete and just start hacking people. Right? They go out and they're shooting people, they're stabbing people, and they're torturing them before they die. We're not doing that. And by the way, I think now that we have DNA... And now that we are seeing all of these stories in the last four or five years, Paul, that um, DNA is now exonerating people who are on death row, 
people who are against the death penalty are using that as their clarion call to say this is why the death penalty is terrible, right? Look at these innocent people that would have been executed. I take the opposite stand. Now that we've got DNA, we know who the real killers are and who the real killers aren't. More so, yeah. Let's stop. Let's put a moratorium on all death penalty cases right now. And in any death penalty case where we've got some kind of physical evidence that we can test with DNA, let's test it. Whatever it costs, I don't care because you're talking about human life. Let's test it. And those who are guilty, execute them the next day. Those that are not guilty, then you let them out. And I, th I think the fact that we've got all this new technology means it should be it should be easier to execute criminals who are guilty. I just have to do a little I, liberal check here. You're right. still going to let them be judged by a jury of their peers? Mm -hmm. Okay, then I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Well, I, w from what you just said, I would agree with that. But that that has never been my argument against the death penalty. What is your argument against that? My we can go an extra five minutes because we started late, right? Okay. No, I, I'm just I just believe in the principle that if you can um, keep the innocent safe, then you should not have recourse to the death penalty. Right. And I'm not convinced, as you are, that you cannot keep the innocent safe. Well, that's all. In the future, so if, if I, I if think we could in the future. I, I, you're talking abstract, right? So, uh, I think we can do that, but we're not doing it. So until we do, until our government officials get off their asses and find a way to solve this problem, in the meantime, we need to, ex we need to be executing these people who are too unsafe. There are so many jail guards on the police officers' memorial in Washington, D.C., who mm -hmm. were killed by lifers that had nothing to lose in states that didn't have the death penalty. There's so many of them, you can't even count them. And... Ju and people who don't know what they're talking about always say, well, we, we should just put them in prison so they can't hurt anybody. That putting people in prison doesn't mean they can't hurt anybody. Well, how about solitary confinement? If you could find, but you can't do that because you've got the ACLU. It is cruel and unusual punishment. If somebody needs to be in solitary for the rest of their life because they can't interact with other humans, then just put them to death. Right. How about drugging them? To make sure that they're 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 not aggressive. But you still have to feed them three squares a day. I mean, you end up. So well, that's another question. You end up but, with a, you end up with a massive bill at the end for basically a piece of human excrement. Well, that's you know we'll disagree with that on another time. But <laughs> I would just say that if you can drug them so that they don't harm anybody, then my principle is is, is satisfied. They're, you you don't have to you don't have to their, kill them. They stick it under their tongue. They find a way to hide it. They spit it out, and then they stab the guy in the neck well, with a shiv they made right. from their bunk. Well, right. these are all technicalities that you'd have to look at, obviously. They're all legitimate things. The no, guy, no, they not, make not shivs out of stuff all I'm the time. I'm not saying they're illegitimate. I'm just saying that all of these things need to be taken into consideration before you make a judgment as right. to whether it's possible right. that you could I just happen to be able to consider things much faster than you. I can do it <laughs> in a second. Yeah. It's been considered. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you guys uh, are much, so I think what much Paul faster is at going to, uh, jumping to conclusions than I am. Want to see me get him worked up? So I think what Paul <laughs> is saying yeah. is that he agrees with me that right now we should have a death penalty because right now we can't keep a, keep people safe. No, right I, now. no I, I'm not convinced of that. But right now we're not keeping people safe. Well, well, if we're not, uh, is, is a little different than we cannot. Maybe we're not doing things correctly. We cannot right now ensure the safety of anybody when someone commits a heinous act and is put in prison. We can't because the ACLU files lawsuits. And you have liberal judges that get, you know, they, they want to make sure they have cable TV and access to the weight room and conjugal visits. And there are people in this country, half this country are a bunch of traitors. They care more about prisoners than they care about the people that they victimized. Um, we, th there's no mechanism for us to do it. There's no way to do it. And even if we could, the fact that they're not doing it means today we need the death penalty. The fact that they're not keeping people safe. Look at, look at Dominic Sinelli, and I'll end with this, because it's one of my unfortunate but favorite stories. Dominic Sinelli was a guy that was given three life sentences by a liberal Michael Dukakis judge. That's how violent this guy was. He was in prison for, I think, 10 or 15 years. But because he got his GED in, in prison, and because he was helping other inmates in prison and he talked the pretty language of politics, they let this guy out. They gave him parole. And the next day, he put five bullets into Wuben police officer Jack McGuire and ended his life. And that didn't need to happen. This guy was so, even a Michael Dukakis, liberal, left-wing, piece-of-crap judge, Gave this guy three life sentences. In other words, you can't ever get out. You're too unsafe. And yet, a parole board let him out.
And let's remember that Charlie Manson, up until the time he just died, right? He just died? Yeah. Charlie Manson was up for parole every two years in California. So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we do know that if you execute that guy, it might not deter anybody else, but that guy's never going to commit a crime like that ever again. Paul. Last way, words? Way too much to talk about uh, right. regarding that last day. Want to do a whole show on the death penalty someday? Because you're, you're presuming that they will, therefore you should kill them. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's jumping off way too much of a conclusion. I'm presuming that because uh, they have proven with their behavior that they're too that unsafe they, to walk that amongst us. they can us, kill. That means that they will that the Given the opportunity that the likelihood of them doing it again is very high, and we can't take that chance. Once you've taken a life, once you've committed first-degree murder, I'm sorry. You're, you have proven with your behavior that you're too unsafe to walk amongst us in a free society, and we need to remove you from our society, and I mean permanently. But I love that you disagree with me because it makes for a spirited conversation, Paul. I think there's a lot to look at, and I don't have all the, I don't have the technical answers to the question, to, to uh, all of the technical questions here. If I was a politician, I would spend 24/7 looking into this. Right. It's too bad your uh, computer's not connected to the internet. You could look them up. Yeah, look them up. When we do the murder one, yeah. we'll get you on the Wi-Fi. Okay. All right, folks, thank you for listening to Paying Attention. We have a new advertiser starting next week, Velos Auto Group on 17 Mass Ave in Lawrence. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.